Thank you, Ellen. It really is an honor to be with you again this morning. Uh, Carol and I's hearts are thrilled to have this opportunity to worship with you, to fellowship with you, to study God's Word with you. And it is, we like to call it our second Texas home. Uh, we enjoy coming back and, and, and just singing with you this morning and worshiping with you just did our hearts just so good because being with like-minded people, same language, same culture, there's something that you just don't get when you're overseas. You know, we love the spirit and the worship there, but it's not quite the same. And so it's really a joy to be with you. And, and I have to say it again, we are so grateful to you as a congregation, as leaders, pastors, and elders for this opportunity. We prayed, and I've mentioned this before, but I have to say it again. We prayed for Anna. She was not married when we first knew that we were going to Uganda, and we prayed that God would send a godly young man into her life, and he did, Kenny, and bring her into a godly family, the Danley families, and set her and her new family in a church that loves the Word of God, that is honoring the King, and God answered our prayer with you. And we're so grateful um, that our granddaughter... And our new granddaughter is being raised up in this family of faith. And thank you so much um, for loving our family and caring for them while we're gone. And we even know that when our new little one, Clara, is born, even though we won't be able to be here, it's a great comfort to our hearts that you all will be here with her. And that, that's very, very encouraging to us. Very encouraging. Um, so thank you. Thank you so much. Um, the greatest privilege is to be able to stand before you and share God's word with you. And I thank Pastor Edward, uh, the leadership team here, that for that opportunity to do that. I know that's uh, uh, an honor to be able to do that. And I don't take that lightly and prayed much over the message that I have for you today. And I pray that God would use it for his glory and for his honor. Um, let us pray. And... Ask God to open his word to us. Lord God, I thank you for this opportunity to stand before my brothers and sisters. And I pray that you would truly open our hearts and our eyes and our ears. That you grant us understanding and discernment. And grant us willing hearts to be obedient in the call that your word gives us. And we will give you all the glory and all the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. The passage is from 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 8 to 9. Uh, and I'd like to read that first. Paul says, But I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a wide door for effective work has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. This, this passage has become very, very special to me. In Sunday school, I think, I can't remember if it was who it was that said it, but when we're reading the word of God, sometimes we read passages over and over and it comes to a point and then God just goes boom and opens them up like that. And that's what God has really been doing uh, 
with me in this passage right here. It's become more special to me, especially in the last two years, and it's come alive. And my prayer is that it would come alive in your lives today as well. Um, My goal is to encourage you in your day-to-day sharing of your faith, of sharing Christ here in Stephenville, wherever you're at, and at the same time share with you what God is doing in northwestern Uganda and how he has opened doors for the work of the gospel. And so we're, we're praising and rejoicing um, for this open opportunity. First, he says, I will stay in Ephesus. And so for background, there we, we look at Ephesus and we see that historically in Paul's day, it was thought to be the fourth largest city in the world at that time. It was a stronghold of pagan religion. Uh, Artemis was the Greek name for the god. Diana was the Roman name for the god. It was a fertility god. Uh, In this temple, there were male and female uh, prostitutes. Uh, Artemis was thought to be the daughter of Zeus. It was considered one of the seven wonders of the world, the temple was. And it was a key city in central Mediterranean area and a focal point of communication. So it was a very important uh, place. The book of Acts gives us a lot of detail on Ephesus as well. Uh, End of chapter 18, uh, verse 24, all the way through chapter 19, we read about Ephesus, some really neat stories there. And then again in chapter 20, uh, verses 17 through 38, that's when Paul comes back. He's on his way to Jerusalem. And he meets with the elders of Ephesus. And so we get some more information there as well. Um, This was a place that was known to have many evil spirits. Chapter 19, verses 11 through 17, talks about the sons of Sceva. They're trying to cast out these evil spirits. Um, It was known to be a place of a lot of witchcraft. We know that from chapter 19 as well. And we know that it was a place where there was a lot of idolatry. There was a big riot, in fact, that happens there in that city because the idol-making industry was being hurt (laughs) because of the gospel. And so this was the place that God was at work in through his servants. It was under the dominion of the evil one. The gospel was Ephesus' only hope. It is our only hope. It is your only hope. It's my only hope. This was the place that Paul is talking about when he's writing to the Corinthians. I will stay in Ephesus. Then he goes on and he says, and this is the part I want us to really look at closely. He says, for a wide door for effective work has opened to me. I looked at some other translations there. Uh, The King James Version. A great door and effectual is open to me Uh, in the net Bible because a door of great opportunity stands wide open for me. And then the new American standard, a wide door for effective service has opened for me. So you see door used in each one in these situations and opened is also used. And so here we have Paul saying, I'm going to stay here because This door is opened for effective work. It's wide open. And so we go back to the chapter 19 of Acts, and that's a good place for us to camp out for a little bit. We first see Paul coming there 
in the first verses, 1 through 7. And he goes there and he meets these 12 folks. And they don't know much about the Holy Spirit. They're prayed for and the power of the Holy Spirit comes on them. And they're empowered by the Holy Spirit. I think that's really significant uh, that this empowering happens there as he's going in. Because the empowering is for all who believe. Acts 1.8 says, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will be granted power to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so that spirit of power is with Paul. It's with the early disciples there. And a little quote, I don't know who said this, but it's always, it's always stuck with me. God does not call the equipped. He equips the called. He doesn't call the equipped. He equips the call. So when you go forth, when I go forth, he's equipping us in that purpose and in that calling. And Carol and I have seen that we didn't leave to live in Uganda until we were in our late 50s. Um, And we look back and we say to each other, oh, we know that God through this time was equipping us and preparing us for these last years that he has for us in Uganda. He equips those he calls and he will equip you as well. And so that's the first thing that we see here. And what does Paul do when he goes? He goes first to the synagogue, which was his custom. He goes there and he says he's he's reasoning and persuading for three months in the synagogue about the kingdom of God. Reasoning and persuading for three months. Now, what's interesting as those words reasoning and persuading. And when I first looked at that, to me, I could really see that it clearly meant that this was a, a dialogue situation. It wasn't where he was going and just standing in the synagogue and lecturing. He was reasoning and persuading. And this last weekend, we were meeting with some pastors in Iowa. And uh, one of the pastors, I don't know who, maybe, maybe Edward does this too. He pulled out and I said, yeah, I love this word reasoning. He pulls out his Greek lexicon (laughs) and he gives me the Greek. Do you do that, Edward? He gave me the Greek word (laughs) and he said, you know what? That Greek, that word reasoning, it's where we get the word dialogue from. I go, oh, wow. (laughs) So he was there reasoning, dialoguing in the synagogue. That means there was back and forth. He wasn't just preaching to him. He was preaching and he was listening back and forth. What happens? He gets chased away. He just put his head down and go, I'm going. No, he goes then and he rents a hall from a man named Tyrannus. And there he starts working and doing the same thing. It says, then it says in verse, uh, I believe it's verse 10. Yeah, he, he, he says he reasons there for three years. Now, when he's chased away, I I see some things there in this reasoning and persuading. We are called to accurately proclaim the gospel. For what is salvation? Salvation comes from the gospel. We're to accurately proclaim it. We're to passionately proclaim it. Passion means that we really believe it. People see that, right? (laughs) If you're sharing the gospel and you're just kind of not sure yourself, it's not going to happen. It's not going to be effective. And contextually, he was there interacting in the synagogue. And now he's going to the hall of Tyrannus. And when you do that, when I do that, 
there's always going to be some kind of response, a yes, a no, or, well, I want to study this some more and get back to you. And so he goes there, and he's reasoning in the Hall of Tyrannus for two years. And most commentators suggest that he worked on the tents and things like that in the morning and in the evening. And then midday is when he did his teaching, which was during the hot time of day. We kind of get that inferred in Acts chapter 20, verses 33 through 35. And, and I said this the other times I've been with you. This is the verse that really grips me, Acts chapter 19, 9 through 10. He does that for three years, reasoning. And it says in verse 10, so that all of Asia had heard the word of the Lord, both Greek and Jew. He didn't leave. He was teaching. He was discipling there, making an impact, and the gospel went forth. Second Timothy 2 2, which is Paul's corresponding verse, I think, to the Great Commission. He was teaching people who taught other people who taught other people, and that's how the gospel went out. That was happening there, and this was that open door that he's talking about. That word door, I think, is very significant. When I started counting the uses of it, I found it being used over 30 times in the Bible. Over 30 times. And context is king. Context determines the meaning. For instance, in Matthew 7, where Jesus says, Ask, and it shall be given. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and the door shall be opened to you. The context there is prayer. Here, what is the context? The context here, I believe, is very clear, is that this open door is saying you have a green light to proclaim the gospel in Ephesus and disciple people in Ephesus. Open, the door is open. And I want us to ponder that phrase, wide door for effective work, in the context of sharing the gospel with those that are lost and discipling believers. Must we wait for God to open the door, one side? Or is the door already opened everywhere to proclaim the gospel? Must we wait or is it already open? Now, my answer to that question really changed drastically in 09 after I had two ministry trips to Pakistan and was able to meet with believers in Pakistan, a very Islamic country, and share God's word in their midst. I said, before I thought, well, Pakistan is close to the God. No, it's not. It's not. And I'm convinced from our current ministry as well that the scriptures teach that the door is already open to share Christ everywhere to everyone, whether it's a lost individual or it's a people group. That's unreached. Then I, the NET version says that the door stands wide open. I like to think of it. The door has been open. A big old doorstop has been put there. The hinges are frozen. So you can't swing that door shut. It's open. The share of the gospel here in Stephenville and in Uganda, wherever we're at, it is open. We don't have to pray. It's one thing we don't have to pray. Open the door for me to share. It's open. Put it another way. I like to put it this way. There are no closed doors to proclaiming the gospel. Just some which are maybe a little bit more difficult to walk through with more opposition. 
No closed doors. Maybe some, though, that are a little bit more difficult with more opposition. Why do I say that? Mark 16, 15 says, preach the gospel to every creature. Or we could say, preach the gospel to every person. Matthew 28, we know those verses. Jesus says, all authority has been given to me. Therefore, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. Nations is ethnic people groups. So he's commanding us to do something. Now, I'm a simple person. <laughs> a simple truth here. The Lord would not command us to go through a door he has not opened. He's opened the door and he's commanded us to go through it. It is open. Case closed. We must not ever say, I can't share the gospel here because the door is closed to me. I don't think we should ever say that as believers, whether we're a believer here in Texas or in Africa or anywhere. Um, we often have, I know, I'm the king of excuses, many excuses that we have. Not safe. These people won't change. Uh, they won't listen to me. We can go on and on. We think of those things. We're responsible to preach the gospel and we, we lead the results up to God. Something I heard in Sunday school this morning as well. Amen to that. Um, now, being away from our dear country of America has helped us, Carol and I, see things maybe a little bit more so than when we were actually living here. That tends to happen, and this is a general thing I'm saying, not, not saying it specifically, but we've really come to see it more clearly that one of America's idols, one of several, is safety and security. Safety and security. That becomes, it just seems as we come back and we see that, and I mean, it was for us too, safety, I want to be safe, I want to be secure, those type things. And there's nothing wrong with that in and of itself. But I like Tim Keller's definition of an idol. He says, Taking an idol is taking a good thing and making it an ultimate thing. That's an idol. Taking a good thing, safety, security, and making it an ultimate thing. I think Paul's life would be exemplified in this quote from David Sitton, who's a missionary friend who's also from Texas. He has said this, risk is right. Risk is right when the cause is Christ. Risk is right when the cause is right. That's David Sitton. Paul tells us in 2 Timothy 1, 7 through 8, that he has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Then he says, therefore, do not be ashamed to share in sufferings by the power of God. We've not, given a, we've not been given a spirit of fear but a power and love and a sound mind. Therefore, go. I know this is, this is September 11th. We know that date well, 15 years ago. I remember where I was standing uh, on that day. And there's one picture, and I've shared this one of my times with you, but I want to share it again. There's one picture that was taken during that event that has forever been impressed in my heart. 
It was a picture of people. The Twin Towers are burning. They're both burning. It was before they collapsed. And in this picture, you have the towers in the background, and you have many people running away from the towers. And the way he captured their faces was phenomenal. They had such fear in their face. And some of them were looking back, and they were doing everything they could to get away. And in the very same picture, you had other people that were running directly towards those towers. And who were they? They were the rescuers. They were running with a different look on their face. They were running to those towers with determination. Why? (laughs) Were they afraid? I'm sure they probably were afraid. They were running there, but they were running there with determination. Why? Because they saw those towers and they knew that people were in their suffering and needed help and needed rescuing. And they wanted to get to them. And we know the story that many of those that went actually did die in those towers. Why do I share that story? Because I think it illustrates how we need to be as believers in Christ Jesus. We need to be like those running to the towers and seeing that there are lost there and pointing them to the Savior who can rescue them, who is faithful who will come to them. We go to them with the gospel. And we share that gospel with them. Wherever that, whatever situation, those firefighters went and shared the gospel. They said, we have to do it. I really believe that in the church today, we have the resources to reach every lost person in the world, every lost Uh, unreached people group. When I say unreached people group, an unreached people group in mission circles is considered a group or a tribe of people that has less than like 2% of their population that are followers of Jesus Christ. Um, Just west to us, about an hour, is a district called Yumbi District. The capital is Yumbi. Those of you get our newsletter, we've been writing about that. Um, nearly three years ago, I remember preaching in a church and having lunch with the pastor. And I had just heard a little bit about Yumbi. I said, tell me about Yumbi. And they said, oh, Yumbi, it's a difficult place. There's Muslims there. And they're stubborn. And they killed two American missionaries in 2006. And they don't listen. Uh, you think of Uganda, you think of Uganda as primarily Christian, and it primarily is. But in this area of Yumbi, it's a stronghold of Muslim people. The Oringa tribe is there, which the Joshua Project puts at, you know, a very high percentage of unreached and puts them in an unreached category. And I remember asking the pastor, well, have any of the Moyo believers gone? He said, oh, no, they won't listen. That was three years ago. And in my heart, I didn't say anything. I said, well, that is a place where we must go. We must go there. And we determined to go there. And we started doing research and taking some trips. And then two years ago, when we were traveling in Yumbi in one of these trips, I asked Charles, who's a dear brother, who's an Oringa believer. I said, Charles, in Yumbi, tell me, where is the strongest of the strong Muslims in Yumbi? And he did not even bat an eye. And he says, Karoo. Karoo. And I don't come back to that. 
And I'll come back to that in a message. Carew. Now, when Paul was in Ephesus, what was his method? He was reasoning in the religious centers, dialoguing. Uh, we see that in chapter 19. He was discipling believers in the hall of Tyrannus. In Acts 20, it says that he was preaching in public, pra- pub- public places and he was going house to house. That was his method. And so we're, we're trying to follow that method too. And in Acts 19, verse 10, it says, All of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Greek and Jews. Verse 17, it says, The name of Jesus was extolled. Whew. Verse 20, it says, The word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. And in verse 26, when they had this big riot, the, uh, the one who's leading it, uh, what is it, Demetrius, Demetrius who's reading it says uh, about Paul, had persuaded and turned a great number of people away. That's what's happening in Ephesus. Why? Because Paul was walking through that door, being faithful, preaching to the lost, discipling believers. Was it risky? Yes. Open doors lie before you as well. Maybe it's your neighbors. Maybe it's down the street where they are there for you. And my exhortation and encouragement for you, be like Paul and walk through those doors. Preach the gospel. Live the gospel. Disciple those that are around you. Now, we are trying to follow that example there as best we can. We're learning. Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. Be imitators of me. And so I think we can say that he sets for us a good example. Um, in Yumbi, the Lord has opened. I shared this the last time with you. But he continues to open the door for us to have dialogue meetings with imams and sheikhs. Uh, an imam is like a pastor who leads the prayers in a mosque. A sheikh typically is, a, is an imam as well, but he's also usually more older in the Muslim religion and more respected. And then also cards. Cards are those that are elected among the Muslim leaders. And so God has opened the door for us now to have nine dialogues with them. Um, and I just have been receiving emails where they want to have more of those dialogues. Just before we came this time on the last, usually there's 20 to 25. We try to keep it at 20 to 25, and, uh, and it is a true dialogue. They let me share, I sit down, and they're trying to convert me to Islam. That's okay, but I get to share with them. I get to talk with them. The last meeting, there was over 50. We met outside the largest mosque uh, in Yumbi. There was over 50 imams and sheikhs. And it's taken 13 months to get to this point, but we're there. They let me speak for an hour and 15 minutes on the topic that Jesus is God. For any of you that know anything about Islam, that's one of their hot hot button issues. (laughs) Without interruption. And we didn't get thrown out. (laughs) Um, And God is doing the work. They all love their global study Bibles in Uganda. English is pretty well known by most. They take those. We've been giving them a Ringa New Testament. That's their language. It just, the Ringa New Testament just came out in June 2014. 
uh, Arabic Bibles. They're reading those, other literature. I have pictures of them reading the book, Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus by Nabil Krishi, who was a Pakistani. They're reading these things, and they're wanting more. God has opened that door, and it's very exciting. And as we see different individuals, we try to call other, some for private meetings. Um, just before we left, we met with an imam, and we had a private meeting with him for lunch. We met in a secret place because when you're meeting in a dialogue situation, I call them to come to Christ, but they're in the midst of each other, and they're not very likely. And this, I mean, it's not impossible, but it's unlikely. So we try to, we say, oh, this person looks a little bit more keyed in to what we're talking. We just met with one of these imams before we came this time. And usually we have lunch and then we talk. But at this time, we had, before the food even got there, he said, Jacob, I've set aside an hour and a half. I just want you to talk to me about this Jesus, Isa, what you believe about Isa. I was almost like taken aback. We, he listened and we talked and talked. We're able to give him the Jesus film in a ring. And you know what he said to me? He said, I'm going to take this back and I'm going to show it in my mosque. This is the Jesus film <laughs> in Oringa. And I'm going to show it to different groups. And I said, well, how are you going to do that? Well, I'll find a player. I said, well, here, let me give you some money so you can rent a player to do that. That's what God is doing. I told you the last time when I was here about Omar, who we had met with over a year ago, who was trained in Saudi Arabia for 14 years by the Saudis, graduated from the University of Riyadh, then sent to Canada for more training, just Islamic training, who has come to faith over a year ago. And we've been meeting with him. He's been soaking in things. He's been kind of behind the scenes. But before we came back this time, we talked about baptism. He said, Jacob, I'm ready. I'm ready to be baptized. And that, I mean, is a big thing. Because that's opening up his life to everyone else. I think everyone by this point now does know that he's already a believer. Um, and so that's been happening, and it's opened the door for preaching. We have a, a vehicle, a land cruiser. I have a rack on the top. We go into the markets of Yunbi, put our speakers on the side. There's no noise ordinances there. We go there. Edward knows. You go there. We crawl up on George Whitfield would love to be in this spot, we crawl up on top of the land cruiser and we preach. Preach the gospel. I like to use Mark chapter 2, the, where they let the paralytic down. That's my typical verse that I like, or passage I like to use. Jesus looks and says, your sins have been forgiven. And then just kind of dig into that a little bit. And then show the Oringa, the Jesus film in Oringa, which has just come out too. God has opened the door. It's opened there. And we see thousands of people watching the Jesus film in Oringa. Um, we have our retreats that we're doing uh, where we bring uh, pastors, church leaders in. We've had 22. Five of those have been with Oringa believers. And so God has been opening this door uh, for us there. And remember Karoo? I said Karoo was like the strong area. Now in Karoo, we've had... Two open-air preaching times, showing the Jesus film. And I've met outside the mosque with imams and sheikhs in Karoo twice. This was the place that was supposedly the most strongest, and it still is. Um, and this is the place where Omar was the sheikh 
and the imam. That's what God does just by sharing the gospel. And and so we're rejoicing with that. We're rejoicing over that. Just before I came back, I got an email. This was the email. He said, I am Tabasa Musa, a teacher from Karoo Secondary School, Yumbi District. I learned about you during your recent visit to Karoo Mosque during the holy month of Ramadan and also through one of your contacts here, Omar. I also read a few of your books, which I found interesting and educative. Love your ideas and think of meeting you for more interaction. I want more books, Christian-Muslim dialogue, and did God appear in the flesh? I would love to get more. So this is what God is doing there, and we're rejoicing. What he does there, he will do here, he will do anywhere. The door is already open. Now, just in closing, the last part of the verse, we, we can't stop there because I'd like to stop there. <laughs> then it has that little word and in there. Did y'all catch that? He's opened the door wide and there are many adversaries, which is always going to be the case when we share the God. We should not be surprised whether we're sharing the gospel here in Stephenville or in Yumbi. Matthew Henry, one of my favorite commentators, says this on this verse. The last part, he says, Great success in the work of the gospel commonly creates many enemies. The devil opposes those most and makes them most trouble who most heartily and successfully set themselves to destroy his kingdom. There were many adversaries and therefore the apostle determined to stay. Did you catch that last part? I just love it. He said there's Matthew Henry saying there's many adversaries there. And because of that, the apostle says, I'm going to stay. It's not his reason to say, go. This is why I'm going to stay. And so Paul's preaching was greatly affecting Ephesus. And opposition arose in the synagogue when he was there. Opposition arose in the city. Opposition arose. I mean, Demetrius, the silversmith. He, he causes a riot, and he says, Paul is persuading people, and there's a big riot there. Uh, and this is what Paul says about it in 1 Corinthians 15, 32. He says, I fought with beast in Ephesus. My translation of that is, I fought with monsters in Ephesus. That's what Paul's saying about Ephesus. Intranously, I mean, this did not cause him to say, okay, I'm just going to give up and go. Um, opposition comes, and sometimes while I shake my feet off the dust, I'm not going to cast my pearls before swine. We can go on, and I'm just going to go to a place that's a little bit more open to the gospel, etc., etc. But that was not Paul's thinking. He said there's many adversaries there, and because of that, that's the reason I'm going to stay. And so we can look at that as in a word of encouragement. If you're going through opposition because you're being faithful, discipling, whether you're a pastor or a shepherd or an elder in the church, or whether you're a person in your workplace, you're sharing the gospel and some backlash happens, praise God. If nothing happens, to me, it's kind of like saying, well, maybe I'm not really doing something right here. And so he's saying this is the reason that we should be encouraged. So we have to change our thinking. And opposition will come when we faithfully preach the gospel. Paul talks about it in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8 through 11, where he talks about being in Asia. And he says, we had affliction when we were in Asia. And it says, we were utterly 
uh, burden beyond our own strength. This is Second Corinthians chapter one, verse eight through eleven. It says we are utterly burdened beyond our own strength, that we even despaired of our lives, and we felt like we had the sentence of death. But then I love the word, but, but, this happened. This happened so that we would not rely on ourselves, but on God who does what? Who raises the dead and delivers us from a deadly peril. And our hope is that he will continue. And then he goes on in verse 11, which is an encouragement to to one another. He says in this situation, you must help us by prayer. Help us with prayer so that many will give thanks. Um, And so that's just... That's our call whenever we have opposition is we go to the body, we go to the Lord who raises the dead. And there we're having some opposition that has come since the last time I was with you. Um, in Yumbi itself, um, there are leaders there. I mean, we have ones that are meeting with us, but we have other leaders that are opposed to that and are seeking to stir up the people against us and have even written to Pakistan to Saudi Arabia, Egypt, and some, several other places, and they have in turn sent people to Yumbi to stir up the people and bring more money in and more teaching about how you need to be a strong Muslim. Uh, that's happening. Uh, the quote that we've heard from Omar, who heard this before when he was kind of still undercover, he said that the quote was in the Middle East that there's an American there on the ground can, converting Muslims and buying them into the faith. The reason they're saying buying is because we give reading glasses and medicine and so forth, which we always say when we do it, we're just doing this because we love you. There's people in America that love you. Uh, One specific example, and I'll be finished here in just a minute, uh, is in Karoo, back to Karoo. Uh, In the Karoo Mosque just recently, uh, about two months ago, over 300 we're meeting there, and one of these oppositions rallied them together for this meeting, and they stated and urged the people. This is because I know this because Omar was actually there in the meeting. Um, and quoting Omar, he says, They urged the people not to allow Jacob to meet with the imams and sheikhs, saying that we will kill Jacob if he comes back. That's what Omar said they said. And the opposition continued in their talking, saying, There's a great danger that if we allow him to continue to do this, many will leave Islam and cross over to Christianity. Omar. Oh, I love Omar. (laughs) Omar stood up in the midst of that rally and he says, no, you will not kill Jacob. And if you do, you'll be in danger of the courts of law. One thing we have in Uganda is free. The Constitution says freedom of religion. It's not like in Pakistan or Saudi Arabia where the government is in cahoots with uh, Islam. He said, no, you won't. And other leaders rallied behind Omar and said, no, we want him to continue. And so at this point, we still have the open door there to keep on doing what we're doing. Just before we came, these opposition leaders aren't giving up. They met in uh, Kampala, which is the largest city in the old Kampala Mosque. Omar's out now, so we're not getting information. They met there with other uh, Arabs and planning and strategizing you know, how to keep us from doing what we're doing.
doesn't matter if we can't meet with them doing dialogues. We'll just do we'll do it a different way. We're not going to stop, and and we're just going to continue on. And our call to you: this is a praying congregation. This is a congregation that believes the Lord. It's a gospel preaching congregation, and so I know that you will be praying, and we are greatly encouraged by that. What's the worst that they can do? We jokingly say this, but we're serious when we say when we go to to Yumbi with my coworkers. I we jokingly talk about well, we got our sewing kits with us, and we're joking about sewing our heads back on. <laughs> but what's the worst they can do? Yeah, okay. What does that do? Oop, I'm with Jesus. Right? What's the worst they can do to you for sharing the gospel, whether it's in the college or high school or in your workplace? What's the worst? It's glorious. The, I mean, me to live is Christ, to die is gain. For me to live is Christ, to be insulted, what? Jesus says, you're blessed because they did it for me. And so... We trust, and I pray that you will trust that, that those open doors are there and that we're going to walk through them. And through it's through your prayers for each other, for us, that we can walk through and be bold and confident. Um, there's a quote that I want to leave you with. I think maybe we have it here for the overhead. It's uh, from Adoniram Judson, who practiced what he preached. Um, and I think this is something that exemplifies the body of Christ as we work together. He said, there is no success without sacrifice. If you succeed without sacrifice, it's because someone has suffered before you. If you sacrifice without success, it is because someone will succeed after you. You all get that? I got to say it one more time. There is no success without sacrifice. If you succeed without sacrifice, it's because someone has suffered before you. If you sacrifice without success, it is because someone will succeed after you. We plant, we water, God gives the increase. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for how you've opened our hearts, how you raised us from the dead how you gave us new life in Christ Jesus. Thank you for the love that you have lavished upon us. Great is your faithfulness. Great is your faithfulness. And we believe in you. We trust you. I thank you for Rocky Point Baptist. I thank you for the leaders of this church. I pray you pour out your blessings upon this congregation. I pray that that each and every member of this church would walk through the open doors that lie before them right now, confident in you, confident in the one who they will point to, you, Lord Jesus. So thank you. We give you praise. I pray that um, the rest of this day would be blessed. I look forward to again meeting this evening and sharing some more. Thankful for Carol who stands beside me. And we work together. Pray your blessings on her as well. Help us, Lord God, as we seek to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen.